Our text for this morning, again, Exodus chapter 20, page 72 in your pew Bibles, if you want to find it. We've got a long passage to read here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You can read all of the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments starts there at the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1. We've worked our way all the way down through here, and this morning we are focusing in on the Ninth Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, says this, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So we've nearly made it. We're at ninth commandment. There are ten commandments to get through, so we've got one more Sunday. And by this time, if you've been showing up and been following along, you kind of know the drill of how we're going to probably work at this Ten Commandments and how the kind of attack, the approach we're going to, to, to make when it comes to the Ten Commandments. And at one level, these Ten Commandments are totally doable. I mean, at a very surface level, if you uh, just, just read these, many of these, you just kind of say, well, if it says you do not murder, that actually is pretty doable if we just take it at face value, meaning do not murder. Most of us in our lifetime are not going to commit cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Likewise, bearing false witness against your neighbor, if you, if you just don't want to bear false witness against your neighbor, it's pretty simple. Don't ever go to the court of law to bear false witness or to bear any sort of witness against your neighbor. You won't bear false witness. No one is out stealing necessarily large sums of money. No one's out intentionally, most likely, committing adultery, sleeping on around on their spouses. Though there are people that, that do break these commandments at a surface level. But the Christian does not get to just gloss over these commandments like they are surface demands. We don't get a glance at these demands as though they're just communicating at a mere surface level of obedience. We don't get to look at them say, oh, it's just kind of, here's these ten big things, fix them, don't do them, stay away from them, pat yourself on the back, and then walk out the door. Far from it. And what we've discussed all along when we've come to the Ten Commandments, and we know this from Jesus' own words, that when it comes to the, the moral law, he is not concerned just with the outward external obediences, but the inward desires that lead up to a trespass. That when Jesus talks about adultery, he doesn't just say the physical outward act is adultery. He's saying every thought, every inclination that ends up in adultery is likewise a breaking of the commandment, is sin. When it talks about murder in the New Testament, that it is not just the actual physical act of murder that's breaking the commandment, but every act, every inclination, every thought, every motivation, that if it was to work itself all the way out, would end up in murder. The breaking of the commandments, they are spoken in this very surface level. Here's the chief example, but included in them are all these other acts that lead up to all what the, the plain commandment is stating. So when we come to the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, there's an obvious prohibition about lying about your neighbor in an official way. This is speaking of its courtroom language, right? Do not bear false witness. Sometimes uh, the trick question will come out, what, what commandment is do not lie? Is there, is there one of the commandments that says do not lie? People will say, well, the ninth commandment, ninth commandment. 
Well, technically, the ninth commandment is not to bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, we'll get to it. That, that does include lying. But at a very surface level, what it's talking about is in a courtroom, in a court of law, you're not to go on the stand and accuse your neighbor of doing something they did not do. That's the, the surface level obedience. It's, it's so serious was this punishment. If you flip back, if you looked at, at Exodus with me, you can flip back to Deuteronomy 19. This was the punishment that was dealt out for bearing false witness. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 through 21. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So often people talk about that, that eye for eye. What in this passage is talking about is that if you bore false witness against your neighbor and the penalty for that was a capital offense, say that it was to require their own life, and you were lying about it and were discovered, that punishment that would have been given to them if it were true is then given to you. So if you could accuse them of stealing and the penalty for stealing was cutting off of their hand and you lied about them stealing, so serious was it uh, the, the accusation of false witness against your neighbor that if you were lying about it and they found out, guess who lost their hand? The person who was lying. That's how seriously they were taking this command of not bearing false witness against your neighbor. And as I said, at one level, this commandment, pretty easy to keep. Just don't ever say anything about your neighbor. <laughs> you can't bear false witness about him. You can't lie to a judge about your neighbor. If you just refuse to say anything ever about your neighbor. So you can, if that's the level of service obedience, we can nail this one. We, we've got it covered. But this commandment, this stands in for a much larger category that God demands His people to be a truthful people because God Himself is truth. If we grant that this commandment is not just specifically about giving false testimony about your neighbor on the witness stand, but is a stand-in for the prohibition against any falsehood at all, is there any commandment we break quicker than this one? If, if, we, if we see, okay, this is it's officially do not bear false witness, but that's a stand-in for any sort of falsehood, that we are to be a people totally truthful. Is there any commandment you broke before this one? I mean, maybe you could think through. But honestly, how quickly do we learn to lie? How quickly do we learn to tell lies? And I would argue that as soon as, soon as you comprehend any part of the English language, you learn to lie. Uh, it doesn't take long if you have a kid, um, so I've got a couple, but one, when, when he was just all by himself, we, we, Jana wasn't around yet, and Joel, he, he didn't have anybody to play with, and so Mimi came along, and I, he, Mimi was his imaginary friend. Mimi did not really exist, but it exists in Joel mine, and, and Mimi's still around, I guess, some. But anyway, we would walk into somewhere, and there was a mess that he had pulled a bunch of toys off of the shelf. Who in the world, where did this mess come from? Mimi did it. You know what that was? Bearing false witness against an imaginary neighbor. It, that, I didn't teach him to do that. He just, he just knew it. I mean, and how many times we'd go over to family's house or whatever and a kid's 
in their plane in the room and, and they all just tear the room up and everyone leaves and say, someone's got to pick this mess up. Well, I didn't do this mess. Everybody that came over made the mess. Did anyone teach the kid, teach a child to do that? No, we're, we're hardwired. This is a, a strong evidence for the reality that we, we are not, um, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. That by nature and by choice, we are sinners. There is hardly a commandment we are not quicker to break than this one of bearing false witness. We are hardwired to just speak to our own advantage. If it helps us, by putting, if it puts someone else down, if it's at the detriment to our neighbor, and if it falsely represents us, we're fine with it on many fronts as fallen people. And we're okay with breaking this commandment as long as it benefits us. In one sense, this whole series of the Ten Commandments is based, flows from this conviction of the Ninth Commandment that we are to be people who are truthful. We should not conduct church in a false way. Some organizations, some churches, they hold their beliefs kind of tucked into their coats because they are afraid that if people know where they really stand on the issues, they won't like it. And we've got to make sure everybody wants to be here and everybody's okay. And so we, we kind of just throw fluff out there, cotton candy, so everyone kind of enjoys it while we never really talk about the things that matter. We never talk about truth. And we, 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 by doing that... We are not being a truthful people. We are presenting a falsehood. Some organizations do this way. And when you put forward a false self, you are bearing false witness. So doing something like this, something as, as heavy as the Ten Commandments for your summer series, doing something like this is an effort to just put our cards on the table. This is where we stand. This is, this is what the Bible speaks about. It's also why the church has pulled out its core belief statement lately. That we kind of blown the dust off of this document that's been sitting around in our file cabinets and pulling that back out and using it for membership and the elders are talking about it and going through it. And it's an effort to live with our cards on the table, to be truthful people. If Christians are not truthful people... We've got, we've got big problems. And that is flowing from this ninth commandment. To not bear a false witness against your neighbor. Neighbor, We have to ask, is the church operating this way? And you should take a look at yourself and ask, am I operating this way? Someone who lives truthfully because we serve a God who is truth in and of himself. Now, before we get any farther, I want to make one word of caution. And it's this. This does not give us permission to become people who just tell the truth because that's the kind of people we are. And you all know who I'm talking about. That there are people who are just in an aggressive manner insult and are rude to people when they come across them under the banner of, well, I just like to speak the truth. And maybe they say, I'll speak the truth in love. This is not an excuse to be rude. It's not an excuse to be assaulting or aggressive or even passive aggressive to people. They are not speaking the truth in love. When we are... When people act that way, they are just disguising the reality that they are mean, essentially, with a cloak of truthfulness. That is not what we're talking about. That behavior and that attitude is not in the spirit of keeping the ninth commandment. But still, we are to be a truthful people. That's what this ninth, the heart of the ninth commandment is that we would not be false, but that would be true. Three ways that we can break this commandment, and probably more that's not exhaustive, but three ways 
this morning quickly. The first way we break this commandment is by actively speaking a falsehood. Nothing revolutionary there. If you tell lies, if you slander someone, if you speak a falsehood, if you talk on the phone about someone and you don't know if it's true or not and you go ahead and say it or you make an accusation that you heard from somebody else, that is slander. If you write it down, it's libel. If, you, if you're gossiping, if you're flattering someone else, if you're, if you're complimenting them or saying something about them that isn't true as well, that is breaking of the ninth commandment you are speaking a falsehood so we break the ninth commandment yes at a surface level when we speak falsehoods do you use use your words in a way that benefits you regardless of the truthfulness of the statement are your first thoughts when you speak i got to make sure that what i say it doesn't matter if it's true so much as though it puts me in the right light no matter what it costs anybody else The first way we break the nine commandment is by actively speaking a falsehood. The second way, though, we also break the ninth commandment is by giving ear to a falsehood. And this one's just as guilty, though we kind of permit it. We take it a little lighter on ourselves. So giving ear to a falsehood is just as bad as speaking the falsehood. Think about gossip. Think about spreading of falsehoods. You may not, you may, we cut ourselves some slack. We say, well, I wasn't telling it. But how many of us, and this is just human nature as well, have the itching ear for the dirt of what's going on in someone else's life? And we say, well, we really shouldn't talk about this, but what happened? Can you tell me, what was that detail again? And we, we want to give an ear to these falsehoods. We cannot think of this commandment as only actively speaking lies, but we break this commandment by giving the occasion for gossip and lies by having an open ear. Here's a quick one. Here's a quick tip. Here's a practical application. How do you stop gossip when it's coming your way? So someone's speaking, you think, well, it's not my fault. I didn't ask for it. They're just telling me. It's okay. I didn't do it. If someone's spreading gossip, here, you can write this down. I'm sorry. I'm not sure I can listen to any more of this. Tell me, have you gone and spoken about it to the people involved? Because if you haven't, it wouldn't be right for us to talk about it. That would stop gossip pretty quick. Have you talked to the people that that you're talking about? And if you haven't, then maybe we shouldn't be talking about it. That would put a lot of people rightfully in their place of spreading gossip. If if, If you wouldn't talk about it with the people there, you probably shouldn't talk about it. Now, that doesn't mean we cannot be... Uh, have important discussions. But you all know what I'm talking about. We break the ninth commandment by speaking falsehoods. We break the ninth commandment by giving an ear to falsehood. We also break the, the, the ninth commandment of bearing false witness. When we live like things that do not satisfy are the things that actually satisfy us. Hypocrisy. When we, when we bear false witness, that is hypocrisy. When we say with our words, with our actions, with our lives, this is a thing that matters. Or we might say to people, um, church is what matters, Jesus is what matters. And then we go and we live like everything else but church and Jesus matter. In a very real way, you are bearing a false witness. If you say these are the things that matter, if you say this activity is sin, if you get up front or if you say gossip, you shouldn't gossip. Gossip is a sin. You shouldn't gossip. And then five minutes later, you go to your next friend and you gossip. You are bearing false witness doubly by gossiping and by being a hypocrite who takes a stand on gossip and then bears false witness about it. So just three 
quick ways by speaking falsehood, by giving an ear to falsehood, and by living falsely. Saying we should be one way and then intentionally living and being another way. This command isn't just exclusive to the Old Testament. If you want to flip back, we're going to be here a couple places. So if you have your Bible out, you can go back to Ephesians chapter 4. That's clear at the back of your New Testament. Not clear at the back, but closer to the back. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Paul is just talking about what Christianity... He spent the first three chapters of Ephesians building the doctrine of Christianity... Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is what makes a Christian. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is what being a Christian looks like. Practical application. When he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Throughout the Scripture, God's people are to be people of the truth. Paul states it as plainly as it can be stated that Christian, as Christians, we are to be those who speak the truth. Does that describe you as someone who speaks the truth? How are we doing with the ninth commandment? I mean, we've worked through all these. We're not going to spend much more time. I think I've got a pretty easy case. If, if, if you look hard at this, if you look hard at the ninth, and you think about the ninth commandment to any depth, of being a truthful person, always telling the truth, never telling a falsehood, always only listening to truth, never giving an ear to falsehood, never being hypocritical, always being exactly what you say you should be. If you hold on to all those things, I don't think any of us very quickly can say, yeah, I'm, I'm nailing it. And, and if you raise your hand and you say, yes, I'm perfectly truthful, honest, 100% ninth commandment keeper, you just broke the ninth commandment because you're lying to yourself. No, no, we aren't. We aren't. We aren't. You're breaking it by lying to yourself about who you really are. So turn to Colossians. This Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is where we're going to end, just here in Colossians chapter 2. Downhill side. We're on Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Because I want to get back to just what this whole series is about. This is about the gospel. When we go through the Ten Commandments... The point of this series and the point of the Christian gospel is not about just tying up extra burdens for people. I am desperate for you not to hear that what we are doing in going through the Ten Commandments is just trying to get burden after burden after burden. Oh, I gotta be this, I gotta be this, I gotta be this, I gotta be this. And you walk out with with this heavy weight upon yourself. If you feel like this series has just been about Darren laying down the law so we can be better Christians or so that we can look down on those out there who don't keep the law like we do, please, that is not the point. Pay att- I, if, you've fallen, if you've tuned out these first 15 minutes, pay attention now. This is the important part. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to give you four different types of churches. Four different types of, of, of churches and the way they center what their message is. And we're going to talk about it in, in ways with a notepad. So get in your head and your mind with me a notepad. Do you guys know what a notepad is? Yeah, it's like a, my generation, you don't take notes on your phone. It's an actual piece of paper that you put and you, with a pencil or a pen. You make notes on it. So think about a notepad. And we're going to talk about four different types of churches and their use of the law when it comes to this notepad. So the church that presents the gospel... The church that presents the gospel is not the place you go to bringing your notepad in to record all the do's and don'ts you need to do so that you can please God. 
There are some images out there of this is what church is. I bring in my notepad, I sit down, okay, I write down all my Ten Commandments, this, that, and the other, and I'm making this big, long list of all the things that I need to do so that I can be in God's favor. And to, when you do that, if, you're, if a church does that, what it does is it leaves the people at the end of the service and after years of faithful attendance with just a 20-ton backpack full of notes, burdens. They can't even walk anymore. They can't get out the front door because they're so buried under the rules of do this, do this, do this, do this, and they are crushed. That is not the gospel. That is religion. That is not Christianity. When churches operate like that, they create a body of people who are either, one, incredibly ruined because they realize I can't keep any of these. I'm buried. I, every week I show up and I get more rules and I go out the door and I don't keep them. And so I show up and I get more rules and I go out and I can't keep them and I'm just ruined. That, they either create people who are ruined by their habitual failure or else they create people who are incredibly blind and arrogant because they actually think they have. That happens a lot. You show up at a church where you have people who think they've kept the law and their blindness, they, and, and that's one of the reasons why we go through this, is to get rid of the blinders. No, we haven't. So that's the first use of the notepad. Note, rule, law, 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 law. Put it in my backpack, carry it, tying up burdens. That is not the goal of this series. The second gospel-loving church, the second non-gospel-loving church, is, it's not a place where we intentionally gather and just leave our notepads at home. So some churches, the way they operate, still going with the notepad, is that when they show up, they make sure they've left their notepads somewhere else. And we're going to pretend like notepads don't even exist. There are no rules. There is no standards. God doesn't care. And we all, if we all pretend like the notepad doesn't exist, then maybe it really doesn't. And there are some churches, that's the way they gather, and that's how they have this notepad, this rule pad, this rule book, Pretend like there is no such thing as a holy and righteous God. And if we all agree, maybe that'll make it true. And this is like the person who ignores all the symptoms of a serious disease, thinking that, oh, if I just pretend like it isn't real, maybe it will go away. And that does not work out for them in the end when they find their malignant growth, that they have denying it and ignoring it is no uh, avenue to, to, to approach this God, the, the law of God. So we don't bring the notepad to just tie burdens up for ourselves. We don't just throw the notepad outside, pretend like it doesn't exist. But also, the third way we don't do is we're, we're not gathering to take down these notes. And then some of these things we put in bold. Some churches operate this way. They'll gather, they bring their notepads, and they write them all down. But boy, let me tell you, there are some big ones on this list. And everybody out there, the ones they're doing, those are the ones in bold. And then, yeah, I got a little one down here in the corner, but let me tell you. And then we all come in here and we huddle together and we, yeah, we've got our small, small breakings. We've got our small command breaking, but boy, God, look out there at those people. They've got bold. They're, they really are messing it up in this hopes that God will just overlook us and look at those who are making the bold, the bold sinners, those extreme sinners. And this church that does that with their notepad thinks that by marking out certain categories of sinners as serious and pointing to them, those people, as the real problem, it will cover the true problem up, which is everyone's sinfulness, their sinfulness. The problem 
is our sinfulness. They think that as long as they remain better than those out there, that God will look upon them favorably. favorably. None of those responses are how I want to live with this metaphor of a notepad. I'm not here to tie extra burdens to crush you. I'm not here to pretend like the notepad doesn't exist. Let's just all get together and sing and clap and be happy and these things don't matter. And we're also not just trying to gather to say, everybody out there is bad and thank goodness we're okay. The gospel-centered church is a gathering of those who simultaneously do not shy away from the hard corners of the law. They don't try and just pretend like the notepad doesn't exist, that the law doesn't exist. They don't try to pretend like the problem is just everyone else. The gospel-centered church sits under the declaration of the universal law of God and lets it do its work, showing them their desperate condition and showing them their desperate condition and feeling the crushing weight of the law of God. We got one more to go of the Ten Commandments, and we, are, we, weren't, we were crushed after the first one. Getting through the nine, we are crushed. And the gospel-centered church, when they gather and listen to the law, they let it do its work. We don't shave the hard corners off of the law, but we feel the weight of its judgment. The gospel-centered church hears the law and confesses, repenting of the reality of their transgression and of God's good law. The law lays us out. The gospel-centered church lets the law lay it out. And they don't stop there. The gospel-centered church does not stop there. From that position, crushed by the legal demands of the law, they gaze at the cross. Crushed by the law, they gaze at the cross. And they remember these words from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. The gospel-centered church doesn't pretend like there isn't a legal standard that crushes us and sits against us. We admit it. Yes, we are crushed by the law. And we don't end there either. We are crushed by this legal demand. And then we look and we see that legal demand nailed to the cross. It is set aside because Jesus, in the body of Jesus, this legal demand, this standard that was set for us that we have fallen, that we deserve God's judgment for, is nailed to Jesus on the cross. It's nailed in Jesus on the cross. This legal demand he has set aside by being nailed to the cross, bearing the wrath we deserve. Christian, our joy is not in pretending that, pretending that there is no legal demand. And neither is our joy in pretending that we have kept the legal demand when we know we haven't. Our joy is in remembering that the legal demand that stands against us and condemns us is nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus suffers and dies on the cross, he does it for commandment breakers. All of us, when Jesus suffers and dies and goes to the cross, he does it for commandment breakers. He dies in the place of sinners, suffering the wrath that they deserve. The church that knows this reality that has repented of their sinfulness, being crushed by the law, and then trusted in Christ and His work on the cross, it leaves them 
in great joy to seek to live in light in the joy of their forgiveness by the power of the Holy Spirit. So why do we go through these commandments? We emphasize them, I emphasize them for your joy in the gospel. The reason why I want us to know ourselves rightly, crushed by the law, the way that we have fallen short, is for your joy in the gospel. When you see yourself clearly, and you see the way that you have failed, and you see a God who in the middle of your failing says, I love you so much, I am going to send my son, live the life you should have lived and have already failed, and die the death that you deserve. So through your confession and repentance and faith in him, you'll be forgiven of your sin, adopted into my family, and reconciled as my child. We emphasize the Ten Commandments for our joy in the gospel so that we see ourselves clearly and are then able to truly rejoice in the work that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And in that joy then to leave here and to live as He empowers us, that the law crushes us and then it serves as our map. We are crushed under it and then now having been crushed, looking to Christ, forgiven of our sin, the law now becomes our map. This is what living in love for God and love for neighbor looks like. Are you a commandment breaker this morning? Have you fallen short this week in various ways? Confess, sinner. Repent. Don't deny that you're a lawbreaker. Don't deny the law that you've broken. And don't downplay it. Don't try to justify it. Just admit it and repent and look to Christ. Trust in His work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. Remember His life lived for you and His death suffered for you. Remember and rejoice. He has done this by His grace for you and for your joy in Him. Let's pray. Father, I ask the gospel would just ring loudly inside of us in this place. Crushed by the law crushed by the law and redeemed by the Savior, redeemed by the blood of the cross. As we come to communion here this morning, God, may we do it as confessors, crushed, under judgment, deserving of your justice, and yet still forgiven by the work of your Son on the cross. God, may we see it clearly that we might rejoice in it fully. Pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.